there comes a point in all, almost all of Paul's epistles. He has been talking about doctrine. He's been laying out the basic core doctrines that that church needs to hear. Whether it's in Romans and he's ascending the heights of the doctrine of salvation, uh, as one, as one preacher puts it, um, getting into the stratospheres of soteriology and, and just breathless from the ascent. Or whether it's in Ephesians where he has been laying out God's great purpose in bringing these two types of people, these Jews and Gentiles that could not be together, bringing them into one man. The point in his epistles where Paul finally descends back down to earth after climbing such great heights and says something like, now therefore, brothers, I urge you. That's what happens in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4. Chapter 3, okay, let's Let's walk back through the first three chapters of Ephesians very quickly. He has started by talking and introducing himself, and then he talks about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. This blessing of the adoption that we have, and how we obtain an inheritance because of our position as sons of God. It's not an inheritance that we've earned, it's an inheritance that he has granted to us. He talks about uh, uh, praying for them and, and being thankful for what God has done in their lives. And he walks into this description in chapter 2 of what he has done. How we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But now, the God has stepped into that and made us alive in Christ. By grace, we are saved through faith. He tells us about the grace of God that is not a gift that is a gift, that is not something by works so that no one can boast, but that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. He walks through the fact that we are now one, who were once separated, who were once uncircumcised and circumcised, two completely different groups of people, how we have been brought together in unity by faith in Christ and made one. We've talked about that two weeks ago when we talked about how, or last week, excuse me, how we belong together in this body, this family of God. So we're no longer strangers and aliens, but we are now heirs of God in His kingdom, but also in His household, in His family. We talked about the fact that Paul had was preaching this gospel that had, until him, until that time, had been hidden that people got glimpses of it and little flashpoints here and there throughout the history of the Old Testament. Now in Christ, God has brought his manifold wisdom all together and through men like Paul has given them the ministry of reconciliation that brings together men that could never belong together because of the work of Jesus Christ. And all this brings him to his knees in prayer, thanking God, kneeling before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth gives its name. How, how he prayed for them to be strengthened with power through the Spirit, that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that we would comprehend the height and breadth and depth and love of Christ and be filled with God's fullness. He says now to him who's able to keep, now who's able to do a far, far more abundantly more than we ask or think. Sorry, I was getting my doxologies mixed up there. 
According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. He has ascended to the heights of doctrine and now he gets his feet back on the ground and he says, chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In light of everything that God has done, in light of his manifold wisdom being made clear, I urge you to walk worthy. It's interesting because in the Christian life, we don't deserve what God does for us. But when he has done it, he expects us to walk in a way that matches what he has done. And so we are commanded to walk worthy. That brings us to a question. We've been considering what God wants us to do. The vision that he has for us, the price, the, the, the way that he's leading this church. And the question comes up, well, what now? What do we do now? Now that we have an idea of what God wants us to become, who God wants us to be as his church, what now? Where do we go from here? How do we actually put this into practice? Paul, I mentioned in several of his letters, does this where he lays out all the doctrine and then he urges them to live life according to that doctrine, to put into practice what he has talked about. And that's what he does in, in the book of Ephesians. We talked about uh, chapter 4 earlier, how, how God has given his gifts. He's given the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherd teachers to us so that we will do the work that he's called us to do, so that we will be strengthened, so that we will attain the unity of faith and the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, that we won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but speaking the truth in love will grow up into him who is the head into Christ from whom everybody, the entire body, is fitted together so that when everything's working together properly, it's building itself up in love. We have this beautiful picture of what it looks like. He goes on to tell them, don't walk like the Gentiles do. And he's not saying just those who know Christ but aren't Jewish. He's saying those completely godless pagan Gentiles that you once were. Don't keep living like that. You live different. You live as children of light. So put away falsehood, he says. It's the truth because we're members of one another. He teaches them not to, to be angry, but don't sin. He teaches them to, to no longer steal, but labor and share. He teaches them don't, don't speak with corrupting words. Don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. Let bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, put it all away and be kind to one another. He tells them to walk in love as imitators of God, like dearly loved children. He tells them to put away, don't, don't even just put it away, don't even name. Don't even let them be named. Like they should be so far away that no one even considers that not to mention falls into it. No filthiness, no foolish talk, no cruel joking. Instead, there should be thanksgiving. Don't become partners with those kinds of folks. Walk as children of light. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You see what he's doing here? He's, he's playing out. How does this look like when we live according to the doctrine that God has revealed? When we consider what God has shown us, what God has taught us, how do we now live? 
We live in submission to one another, wives and husbands, children and parents, bond servants and masters. We're putting on the full armor of God so that we can stand in the Lord and in the power of His might. All of these practical things to live out the doctrine that God has taught us. And so as we consider our vision, as we consider what God wants our church to become, we have to ask the question, what now? How are we actually going to put this into place? We talk a little bit about it this morning, but um, tonight I really want to kind of give some concrete things. And one of the things that I thought of, um, first of all, our vision Remember, we are God's family adopted by faith in Jesus Christ, belonging together in the Holy Spirit in love and making disciples of all nations beginning right here in Prattville. That's who we are and that's who we are to become. Now, some of those things we do fairly well. Some of those things, um, we need minor tinkering, little bits of improvement. Just everybody has to, has room to improve a little bit, right? You know, you might, you might take a tennis player as an example. Okay. Tennis player. Uh, let's go, let's go big time. Andre Agassi. I know he's, he's, he's an older player now. He's, he's probably retired. Okay. I get that. I haven't followed tennis in a little bit, but Andre Agassi. Andre Agassi has a, had a coach, right? Did y'all know that? Professional players have coaches, right? Okay. In tennis, they have a coach. He has a personal coach. Now, if his coach and he played in a tennis match, who do you think would win? I bet Andre Agassi would win, right? I mean, he's he's the professional. He's the world-class tennis player. This other guy might can play a little bit, but probably not that. Right? He'd be a player himself, right? So we could fairly safely say that Andre's probably better than his coach. But does that mean the coach has nothing to offer? Mm-mm. See, because Agassi could improve something, right? He could serve a little bit faster. He could be just a little bit quicker on his feet. He could play just a little bit smarter. May not be much room to improve, but there's always room to improve. Okay? All right? Some things that we do, we do fairly well. And there might be some room for improvement, but it's not a whole lot. It's not like we've got to completely reinvent the wheel here. We could take what we're doing and doing it a little bit better and, 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 and live out this vision. There's other things, though, that we do that, that really are going to take a lot more effort, that we're a lot further behind where we should be. And that's okay, because that's what we're aiming for right? That's our vision. But how do we actually get there? As we were talking about this, I realized um, just looking ahead because I thought, you know, we need something to reach for. You know, you, you think about it, you go on a trip, there's, there's mile markers, right? And you got to see how far you've got left to go based on those mile markers. You know, if you're headed down to Mobile, you can watch the miles just count down on I-65 until you get there, right? Now, maybe you're going somewhere else and and go across some state lines or maybe you're going up north and you don't have them counting down you have them counting up and you're wondering how many more miles is it but every now and then you get that sign that says birmingham x miles every now and then you get that update maybe you're using gps and gps is telling you continue straight for 205 more miles well that helps me now yeah you're friday night <laughs> larry told me they uh he he went on a southeastern road trip uh ended up going down to louisiana unexpectedly but glad you're back safe but the fact is we have we have mile markers we have something to show us how far we've come and how far we have to go right we need some mile markers and i looked ahead i realized that 2027 is an 
interesting year. In 2027, we are going to celebrate our 70th anniversary. So Crestview will be 70 years old. Then Sunday in October 1957, the church was founded. Garner Clark Sr. had got a bunch of folks together. They started Crestview Baptist Church. Okay, And so in seven years, we will celebrate our 70th anniversary. I said, well, that makes a good time to aim for, right? That's a, that's a good 70 years, or seven, 70th anniversary in seven years. I mean, this is just, I mean, all I need is another seven, and we got a jackpot, right? Well, so, okay. So I thought, what kinds of things can we have as mile markers to show us that we are doing what God wants us to do? Not just something that's kind of vague. I don't want something like the church is loving each other. Okay, well, how do you, how do you measure that? How do you quantify that? How do you make that something we can, like, really track? I need something we can track. And we talked about it a little bit. Came up with a goal. This is a goal that we are looking to reach by that 70th anniversary. Seven years from now, we want to have 777. Now, that's not 777. That's not one number. Those are three numbers. And they represent each three different things that I believe that if we can hit these these milestones, that we will be doing what God wants us to be doing as a church. More than that, that we will be who God wants us to be as a church. If we're hitting these milestones, it means that we, we have to, in order to do these things, we will have to be the kind of people that that vision lays out. That God's family who is adopted by faith, belonging together and making disciples. That if we can do these things, we'll be there. So what are they? 700. By homecoming 2027, we will have 700 personal gospel invitations. What do I mean? I mean, we're going to ask people if they want to accept Christ. The idea is very simple. Nobody, nobody, nobody comes to faith in Christ without the gospel being proclaimed. Now, there are folks that see visions of Jesus in their dreams and that begin to believe in Jesus from that moment. You'll hear about that in closed countries in the Middle East often, that someone gets a vision of Jesus and they trust in him through that vision. But I guarantee you, none of those people, none of those people live out their faith without hearing the gospel and without putting faith in it. It's not just sitting Jesus in your dream. That's not what saves them. What saves them is coming face to face with the gospel. Maybe they hear it in snippets here and there. Maybe they see the vision and they, they know that they, that they want to trust this Jesus, but they've got to find someone who follows him to show him what this Jesus is. I, I need to know this Jesus. And they start looking for someone. And they find a Christian missionary. Or, or there'll be a dream. Jesus will tell them, you're going to meet someone tomorrow. And sure enough, they meet a Christian tomorrow that tells them about Christ. It oftentimes happens. In fact, it always happens. That people give their hearts to Christ because they're encountered with the gospel. So if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we have to be extending the gospel. And not just telling people, Turn or burn! Get with the Lord or you'll be driving a Ford. I don't know. That's not the gospel. But teaching them that God loves them enough that in spite of their sin, in spite of their complete enmity toward God, that God, while we were still sinners, sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross, rise from the dead, 
so that we could have forgiveness for our sins and be reconciled to God. We need to be declaring that message. And I believe that in a church our size, 700 in seven years is doable. 700 times asking people, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as go out asking everybody you see you want to accept jesus 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 that no share the gospel but don't just tell them what the gospel says ask them ask them will you trust christ i've done the math on this it's about every 13 weeks if we got about 30 of us going about every 13 weeks you extend one gospel invitation we've got 700 Four times a year. That's all it takes. It's not bad. To be honest with you, I kind of wonder if that's too low. But 7,077 just didn't... <laughs> I didn't think that one worked. So so we're sticking with 700. But I believe that if we're doing that, if we are extending personal gospel invitations, it is God will work through that to change who we are so that we're no longer bound by fear. We're no longer questioning, what if I don't know all the answers? Well, we'll help you. We'll help you know how to do it. Beginning of next year, we're going to have an evangelism training. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Don't miss now, because I'm going to have to come to your house and give it to you one-on-one if you miss. But beginning of January, we're going to start, we're going to start training this. Because I believe that this is who we need to be. People that aren't afraid to go share the gospel. Looking for opportunities. Praying that, that, uh, what Dr. Mark Talbert calls Monday morning prayer. Lord, who's it going to be this week? Who am I going to share with this week? Who am I going to have the chance to talk with Jesus about this week? Lord, show me who that person is. And maybe you don't get them on Monday. You pray on Tuesday. <laughs> you pray it again on Wednesday. Find somebody. It's that kind of attitude. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for the willingness to do His will. 700 personal gospel invitations. That mean I can stand up here and ask and you know there's 20 people here so I've extended it 20 times that's not it maybe it's maybe it's two people maybe you're talking to your kid and their spouse maybe you're talking to a grandchild maybe you're talking to a friend or a neighbor whoever it might be a co-worker an employee whoever it happens to be we need to be sharing the gospel and I believe 700 times is a good start to doing what God wants us to do. That's the 700. There's also a 70. Not only do we need to be sharing the gospel, we need to be actively involved in making disciples. And it's one thing to say we're going to make disciples, but then we start a discipleship program on Sunday nights and like the same five people come every week and and it doesn't really go beyond that. Or, Or maybe we have 10 or 15 or whatever. Okay, great. Maybe we get a fairly large group and then that's it. It doesn't really go beyond that. If we're lucky, we get a second class started. Maybe a third eventually, but I'm looking for more. And so I believe that we need to have 70 disciples making disciples. Let, let, let's, let's, let's get the picture in mind. Discipling isn't... I, t- I told you this morning that there was lots of ways that we disciple, but what it does need to be is intentional, Right? I said that last week. Intentional discipleship is one of those core characteristics. These, This discipling primarily will happen in small groups. It will happen in groups of three, four, five. Single, gender, no, no mixing, no husband-wife combos, nothing like that. Just men working with men, women working with women, seeking to develop accountability and in-depth 
bring people to follow Jesus more closely with the goal that they then go and disciple somebody else. Year, maybe it takes 18 months. But these groups that start, I'm going to start the first one in October. I'm going to take a couple of guys. We're going to start meeting from there. The goal is that we have 70 people actively involved in making disciples by 2027 homecoming. Now, you have 70 people here. Okay. Okay. That's okay. If we're extending 700 personal gospel invitations, I got to believe that somebody's going to accept Christ. And I got to believe at least 30, 35, 40 will. And we're going to start discipling them. This isn't, this isn't like I said earlier, you don't have to have advanced degrees. This is something that a lot of us could do already. It's not something that's, you don't have to get to such a high level before you can start. It's not like a PhD where you got to get your PhD before you can teach. You know, it's not like teaching in a university where you got to have really high credentials before you start teaching. No, this is, this is just bare basics. Um, someone, the, this was from the cause years ago. Someone asked Olivia, the little one, she was saying, I'm going to drop out of school. She was a second grader. And somebody said, what are you going to do with a second grade education? She said, I'll teach first grade. That's all it takes. You just help someone that's bring them up. Paul did this. Paul did it with Timothy and Titus. Paul did it with John Mark, though <laughs> he got a kind of because of John Mark and, and folks ended up separate ways. But later on, later on, they're reconciled. We see Paul reaching down and just helping the next people up teaching the next generation how to do ministry. We also, by the way, see him with a Barnabas, somebody beside him to encourage him, to build him up, to help him in the work. We see him, we see him actually learning from Barnabas when he's first saved. Barnabas is the one that sticks up for him and says, guys, no, really, he's changed. <laughs> Trust me, you know. He needed someone to stick his neck out. When someone that says, I'm going to persecute you, by the time he gets to town, says, hey, I'm one of you guys now. <laughs> you kind of don't believe him, you know? So Barnabas had to stick out his neck and say, hey, look, I'll, I'll work with him. It's amazing how important discipleship is. Paul said to a church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There's discipleship. Hey, come along with me. Let me show you what I'm doing. Our goal is to have 70 disciples who are making disciples. That does not mean they have to be in this church, but they need to be discipled by this church. You disciple your child, and then they're discipling others. Great. That's exactly what we want. Now, some folks will come here. I hope. <laughs> right? Some won't. That's okay. If I'm, if I'm in this to build the name of Crestview Baptist Church, I need to go ahead and quit now because I'm not in it for the right reason. If I'm in it to build the name of Christ, that's a totally different story. And maybe Crestview Baptist gets a big jump in numbers and maybe we're 300 by the time 2027 comes. Maybe we're not. That's okay. If I'm working to build God's kingdom and we're seeing the fruit of that effort, that's good enough for me, regardless of what church they call home. 700 disciples, 700 personal gospel invitations, 70 disciples making disciples. The last one, I have to be honest with you right now, really falls on me and Jim. Um, I believe that if we're making disciples, if we are sharing the gospel, people are coming to faith, we are making disciples. The ministry by its very nature is going to grow. And it's going to begin to produce those types of individuals 
whom God calls to ministry. I know this because I grew up in a church, kind of grew up. I, I was in my senior year of high school, January 7th, 2001, my senior year of high school, first Sunday in January of that year, I came to a church uh, down in, I don't even know if it's in a Wilmer or Sims officially, because you can mail it to either city and it gets to the church. That's how, <laughs> that's how close it is to the line. I came into that church and I was so excited that I sat and listened in both services to the preacher preaching. I wasn't just saved. I had been saved, but God was working on my heart. I ended up joining the church, surrendering to a call to ministry within two years, and I wasn't the only one. We had so many young men surrendering to the ministry, a couple of older guys that had surrendered to ministry that were in that church until God moved them, until God placed them where he wanted them to be. We had so many of us. The, the pastor of that church said, I've got to deal directly with these guys. He started a Sunday school group for us, Sunday school class of just, just men called to ministry. There were high schoolers. There were college students. There were guys older than the pastor, all in that class. And he's teaching us how to do ministry. He's going with us on hospital visits, or we're going with him, I should say. And he's showing us the ropes. We're, we're becoming ministers of the gospel by watching him, by getting opportunities to preach and him critiquing us sometimes very harshly because we needed it. You ever heard a young preacher preach? One of two things happens. Either they preach for five minutes or they preach for five hours. It's, it's, you don't get much in between. You don't get that 35 minute sermon. You get either real short and it's Dover and you're just like, wow, what happened? Or, or they just get really long winded and talk about everything. Y'all don't know anybody like that, do you? It's long winded. Okay. But I'm convinced that if we're doing what God wants us to do, he's going to call men and women to fulfill their calling. Maybe it's missions. Maybe it's, Maybe it's to pastor a church someday. Maybe it's in youth ministry or some other form. Maybe it's as deacons that God calls them to serve in a special kind of way that, that he calls all of us to serve, but there's just certain folks that are serving in a much more caring capacity. And that's why I believe this wouldn't be complete without specifically trying to train seven men or women for ministry. That's deacon ministry. And yes, I do believe women can be deacons. They do it all the time. They just don't get the title in many cases. We've got deaconesses in the Bible. It's hard to argue with that. God calls some men to pastor churches to minister in that particular way or in some form of vocational ministry. We want to train seven by 2027. I have no clue who the seven are going to be. I have no clue. I've got an idea of a couple of folks that I think really need to be deacons, but, um, but that's okay. God will do that work in time. But I believe that if we're doing our job, there's going to be folks that are going to be surrendering their lives to what God is calling them to do, and we need to be ready to train them. And that really falls on me and Jim right now. I understand that. That one's more of an us thing. You can pray for us and be on the lookout. If you're one of those that God is calling, you could tell us. <laughs> that would be good to know too. So those are our goals. 700 personal gospel invitations, 70 disciples making disciples, seven trained for ministry. So the question is, how? I wish I could give you a complicated formula. I wish I could fill uh, uh, lots of 
chalkboards up with fancy equations to give you all sorts of convoluted analysis, but it really boils down to three simple things. Share the gospel. We got to share the gospel, folks. There's just no way around it. We can do anything and everything we want to do, but if we're not sharing the gospel, what point does it make? That's the first step. Some people would call that evangelism. I call that as discipleship part one. Because I believe that evangelism is the first step of discipleship. Which means, the second thing, we need to be a disciple. Every single one of us needs to be seeking to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not something hard. Okay, it's very hard. But because we make it hard. There's a line from The Office where one of the characters, Michael Scott, says, I'm going to make this way harder than it has. And that's exactly what we do. We make things way harder than they have to be. It's real simple. Just follow him. We're going to talk about, I told you we're going to train you to share the gospel. We're also going to train you in your faith. We're going to help you become disciples. In one way is in discipleship groups that will come out over the next couple of years. You'll see them growing. As we get more folks that are, that are comfortable and, and competent in making disciples, they're going to be leading new groups. But one of the ways we're going to be discipling is through Sunday nights. Sunday night, I think, is really the, gr- the best time to make disciples from the pulpit. So there's going to be a pulpit discipleship, and there's also going to be an individual, more one-on-one, you know, small group focused discipleship there. And, and, and one of the things that we're going to be doing, among other things, is we're going to go through the Baptist faith and message, and we're going to examine what we believe and why we believe it. We're going to talk about things like who is God and how do we know him, talk about What's the nature of man? How sin separates us from God. We're going to lay the foundations of faith. What does the Bible say about baptism and communion? We'll talk about these kinds of things because we need to be disciples. We need to be folks who are not only people of the word, but people of the God of the word, who are so desperately in love with Jesus that we can't help but do the third thing, and that's make disciples. You can't, it's hard to make disciples unless you know how. And to know how, you you got to be a disciple yourself. So we're going to be disciples and we're going to make disciples. So that's all it takes. Share the gospel, be a disciple, make disciples. I wish, like I said, I wish it was convoluted so I could feel like I earned my living, you know, figuring it all out. I'd, I'd love to be the mathematician who, who's, who's, who's working out all of these complicated equations to finally come across something that no one else has ever thought of. I'd love to be that guy. But unfortunately, Jesus just puts it right on the surface, so I can't be that guy. So let me be this guy. It's easy, folks. Easy to understand. So it's just time for us to live it. Like Paul told the Ephesians, I urge you, walk. Not to sit, not to think, not to dream or analyze. Not to make excuses about why you can't. Just walk. Walk worthy of your calling. Walk in love. Walk in the Spirit. Walk as children of light. Walk. Let me pray for you. Father, you've made it easy to comprehend, but difficult to follow, maybe because you know that we need you. The sinful nature that's in us makes it so, so hard. It is so hard just to do the basic things right. We start to read your Bible and distractions abound. We kneel beside our beds in prayer, and wouldn't you know it that the Smoke alarm that hasn't worked in six years. It starts going off for no reason. Or kids start bounding around and making noise. Or 
some, something starts flying around our head. God, there's all sorts of distractions, all sorts of things that get in the way, even when we're trying to do the very basic things. The time when we're trying to focus on you, all kinds of strange thoughts come into our heads because we know that that sinful nature ain't going down without a fight. We need your strength to fight. God, I don't see us having 700 gospel invitations without overcoming fear, without having to make ourselves go to that next door or make ourselves turn the conversation toward you. God, I don't see us having 70 disciples who are making disciples without forcing, prying open our schedule, chiseling that time in stone and aggressively fighting to make sure that nothing comes in the way. God, I don't know how we and for ministry, for ordained ministry, as deacons or as vocational ministers. I don't know how we do that without taking the initiative and teaching even when we feel inadequate. None of these things are hard in and of themselves, but there are so many barriers because they feel hard. So, Father, we need you, not just to clear all the barriers out of the way, though we'd be grateful if you do, God, to give us the ability to overcome them. When it feels like our prayers hit the ceiling and bounce back at us, give us the strength to press on in prayer, to see our need more deeply, and to become desperate to hear from you. Father, when we're trying to follow in your footsteps and all we feel is anxiety and fear over what if, what if, what if, I pray that you would silence the anxiety enough to speak and to say, I am. Don't worry about what might be because I am. Father, when we doubt ourselves, remind us that it's not up to us. When we trust in our own strength and Remind us that it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. When we hear no after no after no after no after no after no after no, keep us sensitive to your spirit so that every time your spirit says go, we go in spite of the no's. Every time you say speak, we speak in spite of those no's. Every time you call us, we obey in spite of everything else that's trying to get us to stop. Father, change the words of the old hymn. Be thou our strength. Yes, we need your wisdom. Yes, we need your. We need you to be our vision. But we also need you to be our strength. Because my strength is not enough. Father, help us. Thank you for reconciling us to you. Thank you for doing what we could never do on our own. Lord, keep working in us as we seek to follow your vision and be your people. Help our efforts honor you. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.